Restaurant Unstoppable episode 521 with Phoebe Martinson. You know, and it's not just about making a cool cake or the best sandwich. It is the people, the people that work here, the people that make the choice to come in and spend money with us every day. It's just really fulfilling. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. If you want new customers, more revenue, and a huge advantage over your competition, then listen up. My good friend and industry expert, Nick Fosberg, is doing something special for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. He says most owners are wasting money on Facebook because our industry does not provide enough knowledge, and I got to say, I agree. So Nick is going to take some of our listeners and guarantee them a minimum of $500 in sales for every $100 they spend on ads. If not, they don't pay. Yes, that means he's guaranteeing a 500% ROI and new customers in your door. That's pretty rad. If you want more info, go to ru500.net. That's ru for restaurant unstoppable 500.net. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Phoebe Martinson. Phoebe, are you feeling unstoppable today? I sure am. This is exciting. Yes, I cannot wait. And I've already had a lot of fun just sitting up, sitting here, having cake, this delicious cake you brought over with the mimosas. I'm being spoiled right now trying to paint this picture for the listeners. But man, my job does not suck. That's for sure. Uh, (laughs) Hailing from Olympia, Washington, Phoebe Martinson fell in love with the industry in sixth grade while on an elementary school field trip to a local bakery. Upon graduating high school, Martinson enrolled at South Seattle Community College's Culinary Arts Program, and she has never looked back. After working in Seattle in Los Angeles kitchens, Martinson returned to Olympia, Washington to raise her family and begin her culinary instructor career. Martinson... uh, Martinson instructed until 2012, at which point she fulfilled her dream of owning her own pastry shop. And in 2016, the Martinsons opened their second location. I cannot wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, my mantra would be if I wouldn't buy it, we're not going to sell it. We truly opened the kind of place that we wanted to go, and customer service has been the key and consistency and product. So it kind of all rolls together. Yes, and I can't wait to really dissect how you set your business up to live this mantra and to really deliver deliver on this mantra. But let's bring it back to where it all started for you. Sixth grade, you reflect back at that time, that's kind of where it all clicked, right? 
Yes. So take us to that moment. <clears throat> the bakery is still in town, and unfortunately, the owner has recently passed, but oh, his no. son is running it, and it's a legend in our community, Wagner's Bakery. And I was just astounded. To begin with, I'm a sugar person, and I like to eat, love to eat. And I was so excited from the minute I walked into that bakery, watching everybody work together and the beautiful cakes and the pastries and the smells. I was just immediately hooked. I knew I'd, I wouldn't, didn't want to do anything else. Ever. What was it exactly uh, that drew you in, do you think it was? Uh, all those things, plus watching people come in and pay money and the smile on their face based on what went in that bagger box. I just thought, oh, my God, this is so exciting. Yeah, I love it. So at this point, did you know this is what you want to do? Yeah. You, you, and then you, in high school, I took home ec classes. Okay. And because that's all there was. You know, now there's vocational skill centers, which I taught in, you know, to do on the commercial level. But I gobbled up. I loved looking up recipes and trying. I had little dinner parties in high school with my friends. And nice. Even when I was younger than that, I did a um, concession in, in our house, in my kitchen. I did a big um, cardboard <laughs> board with grilled cheese sandwiches. When I was really young, uh, all the things what I could make. To, the neighbors okay. and my brother's <laughs> friends. And, nice. But it was cool. You know, everything was like a, a penny or a nickel because <laughs> we were kids and nobody had any money. But it's always been my thing. That's awesome. Always been my thing. So uh, you went to culinary school um, and... Any major mentors at this time of your life? Oh, yeah. Maybe some that we might have already skipped over at this point. That well, you want to, bring to, the to kind of begin with, my dad was a professional man. Okay. And he wanted me to go to college. I graduated when I was 17. What was his, what was his profession? He was a chief geologist for the state of Washington high, Highway Department. Okay. And he was a big believer in education. And okay. that's the only way you're going to get anywhere. And I said, I, I think will. there's some truth to that at once upon a time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the world has changed. Yeah. Way changed. So I, we had the conversation and I said, and I don't know what it was, but I knew I was not going to be the book college type of kid. And yeah. I said, man, I'm pretty outgoing. I said, dad, I'm going to go that first year. I'm going to party, make some great friends, have fun. But I bet I'll be back in your house. So he said, what do you want to do? I said, well airline pilot, race car driver, or a chef? And he's like, no, no, let's talk about this chef thing. Why not the airline pilot? Or uh, I think he just thought that would be too much responsibility for his 17-year-old <laughs> at the time. Yeah, I you wish know? I had that advice when I was getting started. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. I just thought it was glamorous, sexy, and powerful. Yeah, that's probably what I was thinking, too. Uh, <laughs> so you take the route of going to culinary school. Yep. Um so you mentioned your dad as being a big mentor. Anybody who impacted you and transformed you during these years in culinary Yes, school? Stan Hawley. He comes down here to my bakery to this day. What did you learn from Stan? Um, just to always work hard and do it right the first time. And my mom taught me that too. She used to always say, if you're going to do something, do it right the first time or don't bother. And Stan Hawley was the same way. You practice until you get it right. And it's not going on the plate till it's right. Mm, I love it. Um, so you spent some time in California and uh -huh. some time in Seattle working in some kitchens. How, how many years between the two? Oh, no, that's some pressure because I'm old. <laughs> um, well, we were in L.A. You came back. For about a year and a half. I know you came back to uh, Olympia in 98, if that helps at all. Yeah. So we started in Seattle. I met my husband in culinary school when I was 17. Got married. No, we didn't get married. Moved to L.A. 
worked for about a year and a half. He transferred with a food management company, Saga, which turned into Marriott, which I don't know what they are now. And I got an assistant pastry chef job at Mr. Stock's restaurant in Anaheim, California. And we were young and we had so much fun and we both had good jobs, but we got a little homesick. Yeah. And instead of sticking it out, we said, oh, let's go home. (laughs) So we came back to Seattle and we wanted to get married and got married and started our life in Seattle. And then when our first son was born, um, we had bought our first house in Seattle. The writing was on the wall. Prices were going up. And I wanted to raise my kids in more of a rural setting. Yeah. We love Seattle, but we were young and working swing shift and we'd go out after and we're going to the museums and the bars and, you know, doing Seattle. But when you're a young parent working that hard, I thought, I want my son to go outside and chase snakes when we're home. Yeah. So we moved back down here and not for our careers by any means, but for our family. Okay. So what was your career looking like at that time uh, Um, in Seattle? I was working... At Alki Bakery, which has been wildly successful, and I learned a lot from them also. And um, I, Dan and I took the summer off and remodeled an old house and then started looking for jobs. Okay. So, so you said you learned a lot store. at this bakery. So mm-hmm. what was the name of that bakery again? Alki Bakery. And how, what was the, this type of op- operation? Was it a restaurant or was it strictly just baking? He only? had a restaurant, and then he opened – it was Alki Bakery and Cafe, and then – the Pipers are their names, and they were so smart. A drug store was going out of business, and I think they signed like a 20-year lease and opened up, which was unheard of. Who does that? But they were so they opened phenomenal. up a bakery in a drugstore? Yes. So they converted the whole building, opened up Alki Bakery, and that's where I worked. And funny, Dan worked for them at the cafe years prior. You know, in that in that day, there were not a million places to work in Seattle yeah. like there are now. So, what you said you learned a lot from these folks. What really did you learn? Reflecting you know, back at this time, what did they teach you? What I learned, which benefits me now, is how to use a small space to the optimum level. Okay. They did not spend money on square footage. The square footage in all of their buildings, even to this day, were for the customers. Not for the production and not for the employees. And my first day of work, because I did work at the cafe before the bakery was open, we had, you know, the pastry people, we had a table about this size, so three by five, and there was a little sheeter on it, and there was nowhere to work. But boy, did we crank out some production. So what lessons can you give us on how to utilize a small kitchen? Give us some, like, nuggets. Some well, key yeah, obviously, you work smart and clean. You clean up one thing before you start another, but you have to have more than one thing going at once. Even our kitchens now, lots of seating, very small in the back. Yeah. You use every square inch. You put a, there's a hole on the wall, you hang a shelf, you hang hooks. <laughs> if there is some weird obstacle um, against a wall on the floor, you build a metro rack around it. Yeah. You know, you put shelves on tables. So you just use every inch and everybody um, has to work together. So why this mentality of really uh, making the most of your available space going towards your guests? What's the Because if the you don't have time? guests, you're not going to pay your bills. Yep. So you're thinking about volume. How many, how many people can I serve in a given amount of time? Yeah, and comfortably. Mm-hmm. You know, I never wanted to have, we're small, but the kind of place where you can't sit down and push your chair out and talk. And, you know, it also needs to be comfortable. It's not absolutely about the volume but if you you know if you don't have 
places for people to be. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much you make in the back because you're going to get stuck with it. Exactly. Yeah. So any other nuggets you can give us on how to make the most of our space, um, reflecting on your kitchen now, some unique things you've done and what maybe you, you saw in the, the previous kitchens you're working in? Well, I set up my production um, in layers. So some things happen at a certain time of day, you know, so everybody can't be in the kitchen all at once. But if we are like here, um, some days there's four or five of us back there. Well, one person's scaling. It all goes on the rack. One person's mixing. One, you know, somebody's rolling. I'm in the corner doing cakes. And then when we're busy out front, everybody drops it and runs out front. So for me, it's all been about cross-training. Mm-hmm. Um, everything in the restaurant is everyone's job. I, I have never heard, I heard this a lot when I was teaching, that's not my job, because yeah. I taught commercial cooking in a big commercial kitchen, but I don't hear that in my business, because that's not how we work. Yeah, but you know, this is a, a good point you're bringing up, sometimes uh, people say, and I, I love that mentality of, if you see it and it needs to be done, mm-hmm. then do it, uh, but at the same time, there it helps to have that structure of everybody having their job, right, yes. and having their lane, so how do you make sure everybody knows what their job is and you have those job descriptions. You have the certain responsibilities that each person's there for and responsible for. But at the same time, you have to work into your culture, break away from whatever it is your job is right now to, you know, to look at the the bigger overarching mission, which is to serve the guests and it's everyone's job. How do you, how do you balance that? You know, it's, it's all cross training because we're small. So you can't, and We have times when we're not super busy, so I can't pay people to stand around out front because they're just a barista or they're just a counter person. Um, There's cookies to wrap in the back. The dishwasher, I can't pay a dishwasher just to stand there and wait for dishes. Oh my gosh, we're busy out front. Um, We teach them on the panini machines first, then the counter, then the register. So everybody's busy all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's not popular to talk about, but it does come down to the dollar and the labor dollar. And our rates in the state are going through the ceiling and you want people to have a livable wage, but they need to be working when they're here Yeah, every minute. So, oh man, maybe we can tap on the brakes for that. We'll save that later when it comes (laughs) up chronologically. But it goes with the cross training. That's how I spend my labor dollars. And then everybody in the building is comfortable. Yeah. Because they're not looking at a customer going, gosh, I can't answer that. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can't answer it. Okay. Uh, so I love it. Um, you Let's go back to the chronological where we left off. You were working in Seattle in a, this kitchen that, and you learned about a small space mm-hmm. and how to utilize that small space. Any other big lessons that you, you pulled? I am people? making the same cinnamon rolls that I learned there. Okay. And that's the cool thing about our business is – And this is what I used to tell my students and I tell my staff now, you can learn something from everywhere you work, Mm. whether it's what not to do or how to do something better, a new skill task, um, production skill, but you have to be open to it. You have to want to be at work. Mm. And that's really important for the people who stay with me is that we're all in it together. And they have to want to be here. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like I've invited them into my home. Because this is my, we're sitting in my lifelong goal and I'm doing it and I want people that are excited to help me. So you always had the vision of opening your own Mm -hmm. place, right? This was Um, the goal. But your goal was to do this, but you still spent 15 years working as a teacher and as an instructor. So what was the purpose of that 15 years? If you had always known you wanted to open your own place, how did you rationalize devoting 15 years of your life teaching others? Because it worked to raise a family. 
Okay. And I used to tell my students, I have the best job in the world because I'm doing what I absolutely love and I'm helping you guys. You know, I'm giving you, you know, the benefit of my um, history and expertise, you know, Mm -hmm. and you, if you learn a lot of these skills, they apply to anything, especially the soft skills, you know, the professionalism, how to be at work, how to be a good person in the community. And sometimes I'd even boil it down to those of you that are going to be parents, you have to learn to advocate for yourself because you will be advocating for your child Mm. at the doctor, at school, out in the community. So I loved it, but I knew I couldn't do it forever. Education is a hard, hard thing. And What's it's so a hard about education? Burnout. Um, How is it harder than owning a restaurant? It was. Really? It was. Why? Because um, the work's never done, but that's the same. That, yeah. <laughs> that's across the board. Um, the, I taught for 15 years, and the longer I did it, the more desperate the families became the more dysfunction was at home. Kids were not there to learn. Some of them were there just to get out of their house, survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it goes along with the state our country's in, or the world, you know, if you want to go bigger. Um, what state is that? <laughs> well, it's... That's got to look. Yeah, chaotic. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot. It could, you know, things are unbalanced. Things are not healthy. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it. I mean, everybody knows that we all have our own opinions. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sticking to food today. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so, uh, anything that you picked up from being a teacher, any skills you picked up from oh, yeah. being a teacher that you apply today and my, um, employees. So students and people off the street that just want to work and learn there is a correlation, but, uh, I have found there's also a big difference. I have one woman that had been in the retail industry for a million years for a local grocery store chain here, and she had worked for a very small bakery, one woman show in town. The woman closed, called me and said, hey, I have this great gal, we interview her. I said, I sure will send her over. She started, didn't really know how to use the scale. I can't remember, but there were a lot of things she didn't know. She has been like a piranha writes everything down. And as a teacher, I tell everybody in culinary school and on every job, I have a little notebook that I still have from every flipping job I've ever had because you can't keep it all. No, we all have lives outside of work. And this woman wrote everything down. And so now she's been here long enough and she loves it because, and this is what she said. Um, to begin with, I'm treated as a person. You have a great business ethic on how I run my business and you've taught me so much. Mm. She said, you explain, not, you show, this is what we're doing. Go through the recipe. This is how we do it. She said, but you'd say why we're doing it. And I think that just comes back to my own personal um, way of thinking as I'm a why person. Often it got me in trouble when I was little in school because I was the one that couldn't sit still, always asking why. (laughs) I get that. So for my students, (laughs) I realized early on that if you understand a policy, a rule, a procedure, you're more apt to follow it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't follow it, you get to make your choice, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as behaviors or or anything. You know, you make a choice whether you're going to do it or not. So you, we got on this path talking about what we're discussing right now because uh, you said the difference between students 
in employee or like off the street employees. So you're describing an off the street employee, mm-hmm. uh, but they had that passion to want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, how was it different with the student? Well, I've hired some of my own students, some of my husband's students and students from very expensive out of state culinary schools. And it's not that they're, there's a difference, but it's not better or worse. But when you're in culinary school, you learn the basics mm-hmm. and some of the really fancy stuff that um, doesn't always apply in the retail world because labor intensive mm-hmm. things. And we're in Olympia. So, you know, there's some things that you're never going to do mm-hmm. in Olympia. But the difference between school and on the job training is I think you learn and you get very strong skills through practice and repetition. Culinary school is a light hit on everything. Yeah. You, you don't know? master anything Mm-mm. until you've done it for 10,000 hours. But then they come out wanting high, high wages yeah. and can't back them up. Mm-hmm. So that's the negative for me. And I've, you know, and I've, I am a culinary graduate. I've yeah. been a culinary instructor and I've been, am a business owner. So I fully understand that nothing's right or wrong. And not every student comes out not knowing. There are a lot of people who spend years in the business and go to get the details mm-hmm. to school. That's a different type of student. So it's just all over the board. But now I can see it. And, you know, I kind of pull it out of people when I'm chatting with them in an interview. Why? Why? Yeah. My question's always why. So one thing I am curious about, 15 years teaching, you got to really become a part of the community, to really know who's passionate about uh, pastry, baking. Um, did you use this to your advantage when you were opening your first place? Were you able to reach into your network of uh, pastry chefs because you've helped develop so many pastry chefs and you really knew who's in the community? No. Did you pull well, on any of the, those networks, these people it, that you help, help molds? Well, my assistant was one of my first students when okay. I started teaching. And Dan and I opened, we've always had two jobs. We've always catered. We've always done food outside of teaching. And we, for I think seven years, were the concessionaires and caterer for Ritchie Brothers Auctioneers. They're all over the world. Okay. So four times a year we'd feed... I don't know, 2,300 people with VIP catering and concessions. And my assistant, Stephanie, walked through the auction one day and went, oh, my gosh, hi. And I said, hey, you want a job? She was a (laughs) homeschool student, and she worked her butt off, was really eager to follow every rule, every recipe, wanted to learn everything she could. So she said, yes, I do. So she started working the auctions with her, and I told her I am opening a shop. It is my vision you know, hang on, hang on. You can come with me. What year is this? How many years before 2012 was this? Oh, see, I'm not a year person. If Dan was sitting here, (laughs) he knows everything sequentially by the year. I'm like the season, what we were eating, you know, (laughs) um, it was, excuse me, it was a wait. And then I ended up, she ended up coming to work with me at the school for a time before I left. Okay. So let's start diving into this vision on how you made it happen. When did you know you were ready to go after this dream that you've had? Well, this building that we're sitting in is had come available three times and we didn't get it each time. You know, some, there was a weird, we remodeled the whole building. There was a weird little restaurant space that people kept trying to utilize that wasn't working. And for whatever reason, we lost it twice. So we just rented it. So we leased it for almost, I think it was 10 months before we opened. So Dan and I would come here every day. And this was a huge conference room, Eric. It was a wall. 
So none of the retail area was open. It was a hallway door to door. So Dan and I would come here and draw pictures and try to figure out how the heck are we going to make this work. So and- sitting here real quick to try to paint the picture, we're sitting in an open space uh, and there's the uh, the dining room to the right and to the left, you can see like to the, 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 the front entrance way and there's a bunch of display cases. So what I'm understanding is uh, there was a wall between where we're sitting in the dining room and mm-hmm. the display cases. So it was closed off. Yes. Okay. It was just a, it was very strange because this was um, the community building for the office park. So this was a huge conference room. Okay. And then a long hallway with 36 mailboxes and then a little window that was open to the kitchen. Okay. So it was very odd. So you said you spent 10 months here uh, paying at least 10 yeah. months uh, to get it right before opening, to open up, to blow out the walls, to open it up. And then our, we got the contractor we had once we got our, ourselves situated was really late. So we were supposed to open in October that year. We opened December 19th. Okay. I was completely freaked out. So what were the, the lessons here? Any things that you missed? Anything that delayed the opening? Any big takeaways from this time? Well, working with contractors is always a rough ride. Okay. So what happened? What advice do you have in that regard? Uh, stay on them and, and, you know, don't tolerate excuses. But okay. everybody that has to work with contractors just says it's just is. Yeah. But we had, you know, time penalties. So the guy ended up not making any money because oh, he was late. But that gave me a couple of days before Christmas. So we missed our big, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas are our biggest times. Yeah. So we missed that. Yeah. But um, it worked. I mean, yeah. we just pulled it together. And so the what? So one thing that this woman, this young woman that you uh, pulled, um, I can't remember her name. Stephanie. Stephanie. Um, I don't know. Is this the, the woman from the that was sent to you from the other baker? Who was that? No, that's Erica. Erica. So Erica said that you had a this certain business ethic. Um, oh, do you want to hear that? It's not going to be very popular. What is your business ethic? Um, that, that, the, the customer's not always right in my shops. I don't think that's necessarily a bad ethic. But be, it's not the popular. Um, but I don't mean that in a nasty way. Yeah. You know, I think there's a bounce. Yes. Um, you know, as far as, like, you know, we're here to serve the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, the customer's not always right, though. There mm-hmm. are times when you need to stand up for the staff. Yes. Uh, sometimes the staff is right. And yes. uh, if you don't believe your staff, if you, if you side with the customer, even though the staff was right, um, you know, you can uh, lose your staff. And we've you can always lose your people. We've been very fortunate that we don't have many complaints, but we've had some unruly customers. And my thing is everybody's welcome at Phoebe's until they're not. Yeah. And that's an employee or a customer. Period. Yeah. You know, I think there's a certain level of truth of uh, it's a two-way street and that, that respect has to go both ways. There's a lot of people that abuse uh, the generosity and the, the, the warmth of restaurateurs. Yes. Uh, so anyway, we don't need to go any further <laughs> on that. But what exactly – give me an example of how, you, how the customer is not right. Um, well, we've had some bad behavior customers. Like we had a group of and retired um, high school public education administrators – that used to come in here and constantly um, harassed one of my counter people about the jeans she was wearing and about her ass. And I let it go for a little bit and I'd go, you know, not cool, not cool. And finally the next week still happening. I went over there and I said, you should be ashamed of yourselves. You absolutely know better. And that behavior is not tolerated here. You know, go back to Starbucks where he came from. Yeah. So I never saw him again. They were embarrassed, but still a little cocky, and they just said, "We won't be back." And I said, "Perfect." Yeah. No. Sometimes you got to fire your guests. You got to yeah. say you're not welcome yeah. here. I think there you 
you want to keep that culture within your four walls that includes the front of house. Yes. That includes the dining area. Um, Cool. So um, bringing it back to the opening. Yeah. uh, What were some of the biggest challenges you experienced during the opening? Well, you know, a lot of people have the big plan. We didn't have the big plan. I kind of go on my gut. Didn't have a menu. I... And this has worked for us. I probably wouldn't recommend it for most people opening in a big market. You have to know your brand, you know, all the business strategy stuff that you're going to read. But um, we just kind of winged it. And I cook like I like to eat. I'm Mm -hmm. a big girl. I like to eat. And I just started making my favorites for the sandwiches, the salads, soups every day. And Stephanie and I did all of it ourselves. So what I started with was my line of cakes. I made my favorite cakes, got everything prepped and, you know, thought, oh, my carrot muffins are the bomb. Made muffins. Muffins didn't sell. But the food, the savory side of things, because I went, this is what we've missed in our interview. I went to culinary school, cooked professionally for three years, and I went back to pastry school. Okay. And absolutely fell in love. And I love to cook too, but it's made me pretty Mm well-rounded as a teacher and as an owner now. And um, people would come in and like, let's just break it down. Meatloaf sandwich. My mom taught me to make meatloaf and I make it her way with oatmeal, not breadcrumbs, different binder. We make bomb meatloaf sandwiches and they're fabulous because we make the meatloaf, you know. And I do an egg sandwich. My dad always had a huge sage plant. So we do a sausage sage breakfast sandwich. That's a bomb. And people are like, tell me about your food or what's this? And I go, oh, my God, that was my dad's favorite. And, this. and we have really connected with our customers through how the food came to be. And it's simple. And in this community, it has worked. And, you know, I kind of just sum it up to, I was so excited when I opened, I was running on fumes, worked every minute of every day. I'd never been so tired, but, or fulfilled in my whole life. And I was so freaking excited every day. Like I'd clap when people came in and, and it just felt like, you know, Dan, my husband and I are entertainers. We've always had a couple of huge parties at our house every year. So this was like that every day minus cocktails. Yeah. And it's well, not today. It's just we been, oh mimosas. yeah. Oh yeah. We're having mimosas. Phoebe I needed to nice relax. <laughs> she was nervous <laughs> for the mic in her face. She's doing great though. Oh. Um, so I'm curious, you were talking about, uh, Oh man, maybe I lost my train of thought. Um, opening, yeah, opening, um, and how excited you were for people that to come in. Um, we've talked about a lot about what your successes were and how you kind of just went for it. And being from uh, this area, you you don't have to do the demographic research because you right. know you are. I mean, you are your target market. But our friends thought we were crazy because we are a destination. You don't just happen upon us. But it organically grew. And so did my staff and my business practices and my systems. So I I remember what I wanted to say now. We'll we'll get into how you scaled your your people and your systems. But when you first started, there were two other spaces that came in here and did not last very long. So what was it that you did differently? What was it about Phoebe's (laughs) Pastry Cafe that was different about the two other locations that came in here and did not succeed? Well, you know, it's so common in our business. People think it's easy. I should set it up a little bit better. The space that we're in is in a a corporate park right next to uh, a a dealership park where there's like a one of every. Yeah, so you got a bunch of car dealerships to the uh, our south, or I don't know if it matters our east, uh, and then we're in the middle of a corporate park. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
it's kind of a unique place to put a restaurant, um, which I'm assuming kind of was one of the reasons why these previous restaurants didn't make it. Because they were counting on the business from the park. That's not big. That's not enough to run it to have a successful business. Mm-hmm. People have to come here. Yeah. yeah. So that's the mentality that you had. You weren't just focused on If you build it, they will come. But our friends thought we were insane. Yeah. (laughs) And the word slowly spread, and now our cake business is off the chain. I mean, cakes are... It it doesn't happen overnight. No. It's been six years going. Yep. Uh, So what was it like? You said in the very beginning, you would clap at people walking in the door. Oh, yeah. I was so So excited. So I'm assuming that it wasn't like the floodgates were open. You were like completely out straight. No, the... Because it was Christmas, remember? Yep, yep. So our opening day, we were busy. Everybody that knew me came, obviously. I cried all day. Yeah. And my Stephanie's like, stop crying. Get back out there. There's people here, you know? So it was really weird. And then after Christmas, then I really started to go, okay, how are we going to do this? Yeah. And it's, you know, I just started making things. And if it didn't sell, I didn't make them again, mm-hmm. obviously. And... I lost my train of thought now. No, it's all good. Um, so uh, what were your biggest challenges? I mean, what, what, what were you doing in your day-to-day that, like, to, to keep people coming? Because they have to, this is, like you said, this is a destination. Mm-hmm. They have to be coming here. You're not going to be just driving through the car park randomly someday. Like, right. You're coming here. So what was it that you were doing and your people were doing to bring people back? Serving good food and really great customer service. What is really great customer service? You know, and it's in my policies, but it goes a step further. Every guest is to be greeted and upon arrival, thanked upon leaving. But in a sincere way. Mm-hmm. Not, good morning, welcome to Phoebe's, may I help you? Yeah. You know, nobody says the same thing every time because now we know our guests. And we still get new people every single day. And I ask, and this is what I try to teach um, my coworkers, is say, how'd you find us today? Mm. You know, what brought you in? And it's the strangest thing. I asked a guy the other day and he goes, you know what? I was at Batteries Plus buying a battery and somebody was talking about your place, I guess. And I said, what are you guys talking about? And the guy goes, oh my God, if you haven't been there, you have to go. He goes, I got right in my car and I'm here. And he goes, and I can't wait to come back. (laughs) So it really spread just organically by... Be in the kind of place I wanted to go to. What does what, what, what paint that picture of the kind of place you wanted to go to? Well, customer service in Olympia is not the best in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a no cell phone policy. If you're at work, you're here to work. I do not want to see. It's a big. Oh, Eric's putting his phone away. <laughs> it's a big turnoff to walk into a place and see a hostess or an employee behind the counter on their phone. Mm-hmm. And like they have to strain to look up at you to say hello, welcome. You know, and I just, I truly believe this. Customers have a choice every day where they're going to go and where they're going to spend their money. So you have to earn it. Mm-hmm. But you have to be sincere. I truly love my customers. There have only been a few in six years that obviously have not been welcomed back. How do you transfer the sincerity onto your employees? You know what? I don't know. It's kind of infectious. The people that don't have my kind of personality or passion don't stay. Mm-hmm. Either on their own accord or I move them on. And I went through a lot of people. Because this truly, I spend all my time here. I mean, my life has dramatically changed from what it used to be when I was a teacher. But Dan and I specifically waited for to do this until our kids were out. Mm-hmm. We opened when my my youngest was a senior in high school, and Jake was already in Maui, doing his thing, and so it was our time. 
because you cannot do this and not let some other things in your life go. Yeah. I mean, this was like our third child. That's what we tell people. Absolutely. Um, so you're scaling over time. You said you started building out your systems, your, your policies, your processes, uh, really talk to us about where those systems and policies and processes were then and where they are now. As we started to get bigger, I wrote recipes because I did all the savory. So I would just create salads every day, but I knew the proportions I was using. So when you start to hire people, it all needs to be in black and white. You know, you have to have a recipe. It is the customer needs to know the um, broccoli, cauliflower, bacon salad they're getting last Tuesday. They're going to get the same quality, flavor, and texture. So the first thing is to standardize. Yes. To get it written down, to have it The products. Consistency has been our key. All right. So what happens after that? Then employee policies became a thing. And then you start thinking about the legalities, what you're liable for, all those kinds of things. So I, you know, did some research, talked to our attorneys to kind of get things tightened up on that end a little bit because I didn't want to get myself in trouble, get myself in a bad spot somehow, Mm -hmm. some day later and not know. And go, oh, my God, I wish somebody would have told me that. So I tried to get all those kinds of things worked out, you know, trip hazards, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then, I don't know, everything just grew. But there's ordering sheets, purveyor sheets now. You know, there are systems. But there is still the room for personal growth, um, personal decisions, you know, things like that. So it's not like... Just I worked for when I taught, I worked for Sodexo. They were the management company at the school. Everything was so cut and dried. Mm-hmm. So it's a mix because, of course, you have to have policies, procedures, standards and systems for everything. But is that the end all? No, no. The person using yeah. the system. There's definitely going to be a balance. Yeah. Um, so when you were scaling this thing, um, you, your primary business originally was the, the food that was being sold over the counter, right? Mm-hmm. But now you have a lot of other things going on. You do the catering, the cakes. How yeah. did you start building in these other channels of revenue? Well, because yes was the answer, mm-hmm. right? When you're new Even and the you're not isn't always screaming. Right. No, but yes is, can you? Yes is the answer. Yeah. Except yes in our lane is the answer. What does that mean? Um, you know, there's huge communities now of different types of eaters, vegans, gluten-free, all very important to the people, to their bodies, obviously. But we are not that kind of shop. So I learned early on, I was trying to say yes to everything. Well, you can't do everything well. And gluten-free is a whole different way of baking, handling products, ingredients. So we try to have a nod, something that everybody can eat. It's an option in case they come in with other people so there's yes. something they can have. Yeah, so they're not walking in with a brown bag of just their own food. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard for people to take because it's a bigger and bigger market. But it's not my market. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm doing what I have always done. And you get really good at it if you stay in your lane, mm-hmm. is my thinking. So I can't remember why you asked me that, how mm-hmm. we got here. Um, I, Should we have another sip? Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll have another sip of the mimosa. Yeah, <laughs> I like that idea. Refresh. Reset. And my throat was getting a little scratchy. Yeah. We're doing a lot of talking. So, um, yes, I agree with you. Stay in your lane um, and do one thing better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing that you say you do best? What is it? What is your lane? Well, besides our customer service, um, 
my passion is the cakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were just dessert-style cakes in the case by the slice. You can order cakes for birthdays. But now we're um, kind of on a, on a new tier of really custom cool cakes. So I'm getting to do some fun sugar sculpting figures. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I, every couple years I go to a cake show, take some classes. So that's really exciting to me because I want to be able to be it, mm-hmm. you know. So one thing that um, I think I, this was something I picked up during a previous conversation we had was this idea of not necessarily being willing to take young people off the street who want to learn pastry. Um, you did that. You paid your dues teaching people. Now you're more interested yeah. in uh, in taking people who are passionate about learning. Um, I mean, do you take people off the street with no experience? Is that something yeah. that you do? Oh, yeah. maybe I heard you wrong. No, I'm not into um, student internships. Okay. People coming to watch us work because okay. we're busy. Our space is small. Yeah. No, I'm, I did my community service with the teaching piece. Okay. Gotcha. You know, like there's a uh, cooking school in town that always wanted me to teach, 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 you know, it's a community service. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I've done that. Yeah. Well, I believe it was Erica when she came here. She said that she loved the fact that she was learning new things. Uh, that uh, she was picking up on your business ethics is another reason why she loved working mm-hmm. here. And you were just giving her so much with your knowledge. Uh, and I think that right there, that the the being willing to give of your knowledge to transform people. How do you approach that? Well. It's kind of selfish as a business owner because the more they know, the better they do, the more productive they are, right? But I love to see people learn. And, you know, I really do like people. So it's easy for me to chat, to share, and I guess, you know, to motivate mm-hmm. because I don't, the, I guess the difference between hiring somebody with not a lot of experience, they want to learn, but they also need to make a living, Right. So what better way to kill two birds with one stone? Yeah, I hear you. I think what we were kind talking about. school and the earning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what we were talking about before just came back into my head. We were talking about uh, the different channels of revenue and how you scaled and how you started bringing in other channels of revenue. But it sounds like with the cakes, you just you started small, kind of like with the restaurant, you started small. Um, but the cakes, that, that, that channel of revenue you started small with, just the, the, you'd make one cake and then you'd sell the cake by the piece or, or by the slice. Uh, how would you call it? Slice or piece? Slice. Slice. Cake by the slice. Um, and then as you started getting your, your guests familiar with your cakes, you started, you know, like, oh, I'll sell you a whole cake. And that's kind of how you scaled into that. Is that how that's Yeah, started? we've always had whole cakes. Okay. But once people taste them and it really got rolling, yeah. then they're like, gosh, can I have a little Nemo cake? Can I have, you know, and then you start getting into... You know, there's 1957 Chevy over there that's all sugar. There's oh, an Olympia police cruiser over here that's all sugar. So then you start getting into that really cool wow stuff that you spend a lot of time yeah. on. And then you, you stand back and go, man, that's cool. It's yeah. sugar. So let's talk more about the scaling because now you have two locations. Mm-hmm. When did you know it was time for a second location? Well, we maxed out our space. Going back to Alki Bakery, we couldn't plug in because we had said yes to so many things now. We were catering, um, lots of pickup lunch orders to go, plus our retail, plus the cakes, plus the baking. Um, We have a refrigerator plugged in to every outlet possible in this building. And, you know, the compressors generate a lot of heat. It's just, we and our um, power panel, is that what it's called? 
fuse panel is yeah. maxed out. So we couldn't do any more, but we weren't ready to stop. Yeah. You know, we needed to grow. So an opportunity. It's funny because the bakery that Erica came from had a sign on this building up the street that she was coming to the West side. And I'm like, I don't want another bakery on the West side. I'd rather compete against myself. Yeah. So an electrician was in here one day doing some work for me. And I said, Hey John, where, you know, just chatting like I do. Yeah. Where were you before here? You know, what else did, did you have on the docket today? And he goes, actually I was up blah, blah, blah. And I go, Oh yeah. Isn't that bakery going in there? And he goes, no, the deal fell through. I go, what? <laughs> really? I go, I want that building. So I said, can you get me in touch with the owner? So now here we are yeah. open. It's really cute and it's been great. And that one has a walk-in. Okay. So now you have this new space. How did you divide uh, the space to make best use of both spaces? Easy, savory and sweet. Okay. So, so all the sugars here and all the savory is okay. done up there. And it's and only about an hour or a mile and a half away yeah. from here. Not mm-hmm. far, right? Yeah. So you, in the morning, you'll, you'll have one team here working on the savory or on the suite, and then you'll have another team at the new location working on the savory, and then you just cross stuff over. We like fill you. both stores. We okay. deliver early in the morning. Okay. And that's another thing I learned from the Pipers who own Alki Bakery is they had three restaurants on Alki Strip in Seattle. And you're going to Seattle. You should go check yeah, them out. I should. And I said to him once, why in a row? And he goes, why compete against anybody else? And that's exactly what I thought when I saw that bakery going in up the street. I'd rather compete against myself. Mm. And it's working. So they have three separate restaurants right next to each other? Well, on the same strip on, on the, the beach. So they, they the had the cafe, restaurant? the bakery. No, and then the third one was called The Point. Okay. It was upscale, you know, more restaurant-y. But since then, they've branched out and do manufacturing for grocery stores and, okay. you know, that's a good point, though. Why compete against other people? Why not just yeah. be all right there and create more opportunity for yeah. people, too? Um, so the other variable, too, is your son. You had always tried to bring your son in on the, uh, on the family business, right? He was out in Maui mm-hmm. as an executive chef. Did you train him? Well, he was working at the Ritz-Carlton. Okay. Not an executive chef, but working there, working his way yeah. up, learning. And, well, like I said, we've always had catering business. Yeah. So, yeah, the both boys worked, the Ritchie brothers worked every catering with us. But did he think he was going to end up in the business? Probably not. Okay. But it's just kind of you, you are, you aren't, right? So you brought, him in, yeah, you brought him in to run the second location. Well, he missed opening this one because he was in Maui doing his thing. And I yeah. kept teasing him. I have a job open. You know, do you know anybody? Because I was really freaked out about not being able to be in both buildings yeah. at the same time. You know? Mm-hmm. Why? Because who's going to teach them? Who's going to watch the standards? How I, I was overwhelmed. I mm-hmm. was tired, exhausted, overwhelmed, and thought, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And then so he called me one day, and he goes, you know what? Are you serious about the job? And I go, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so they came home. Nice. Yeah, and it's been great. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like being able to trust a family member. Yeah. Not that I don't trust my employees because lots of people well, have keys to both buildings. They're but. cut from your cloth, like literally. Like they, they have your, your values, your mm-hmm. beliefs, your uh, habits, the, the things you've, you've you know, taught these kids from the very beginning. And you know your son. You and know what's you trust really great that he has brought to the team is he was working in a high-end facility with all the trends. Mm-hmm. So Dan and I have been doing this so long. We have some really set things that we do, but Jakey's taken them to another level mm-hmm. through, you know, relativity and just creative. He's a very creative man. 
And so it's been a good mix. So a lot of people say don't get into business with family. Uh, avoid a business with family. Do you believe that? Well, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Obviously, um, hmm, long pause here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not easy. It hasn't been easy because there's some pushback. And there was a little parental pushback that I didn't count on. We're very close. Dan and I are very close to our boys. And I think sometimes when I say certain things to him, it's like I'm the mom and he's 12. Yeah. Like, oh my God, it's a trigger kind of, so to speak. And he does get away with a little more attitude than other people because when you are working with people that are employees, even though you get close as time goes on, there's still a boundary. Yeah. Where this woman is paying me, she is my boss, but that boundary is really fuzzy with my kid. <laughs> I can imagine. You know? How do you deal with that? Um, sometimes not very well, yeah. and we're working on it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a process. It definitely is for all, all of us concerned, because mm-hmm. we really want this to work, and we love each other. But we have said from the beginning that the business will not come you know, ruin our relationship. Yeah. And it's not even close to that. I mean, we're doing great. Yeah, so... How do you, you said earlier you're kind of worried about being in two different locations at once. Uh, do you split yourself up between both locations? Nope. I used to, I was delivering every morning for a long time. Sorry. So I could be in there and check on things. And, and now I'm not doing that anymore. And I hardly ever go up there because I wanted him to get his own customers. Yeah. And he has. I mean, so to, you know, um, how do you say that? You know, you just grow your own customer base through your personality, through your customer service, through being in the building and waving over the door. Good morning, you know. And so the reports are great because I have people that come in here and go, gosh, we didn't know this one existed, although this was the original. Yeah. Yeah. So I go, oh, but um, people tell me the customer service up there is on point and how friendly everybody is. And and the funny thing is a lot of people knew of Jake, knew him before he got here because you know it's kind of like a bartender you're you start chatting with people and like i said i like people so it's easy for me to to chat yeah one thing we haven't spoken a lot about uh is your husband because he's a partner in the business is he not so what's his role uh how does how did he uh because he's still teaching yeah well he just retired in june okay but he is going to teach online the culinary piece online for the program okay and he was instrumental i obviously could not have done this and wouldn't be here without him so that's Um, another variable where people say like don't get a partner or don't go into family or business with family but i think oh yeah i've already done that with dan didn't i yeah they people (laughs) overlook the fact that your your life partner is your family yeah and they're your business partner too And, and so many times people say well i couldn't have done it without my husband and my wife how is that not business, family, business, partnership? You know what I'm saying? That is so funny because I didn't, I didn't think family either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but right? yeah, no, he's been right here and he was totally the man that got the construction done and had the vision and he's yeah. really good conceptually that mm-hmm. way. Um, but he did a lot of the shopping. He's, he's a price maniac. Yep. So he keeps our costs in line and works hard on some of the systems and, you know, keeping us all yeah. afloat. So your your son just walked in. He's been kind of going on in the background. I'm kind of tempted to ask him what it's like working for mom. He's working today. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> he's. I think he's pretending not to hear us. Can he hear us? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he's doing his thing. We'll leave him alone. He's a little shy. <laughs> so 
Uh, anyway, anything we haven't touched on, anything that you want to bring to the surface that we that you were hoping we would discuss, but we haven't gotten around to at this point? You know, not really. I just feel really fortunate. I am doing what I want to do, and I'm happy and fulfilled, and I truly think I have the best job in the world. Mm. You know, and it's not just about making a cool cake or the best sandwich. It is the people. The people that work here, the people that make the choice to come in and spend money with us every day. Um, it's just really fulfilling. So let me ask you this. Uh, who you were, say, uh, six years ago when you first started your business, and to who you are now, how has Phoebe Martinson transformed? Well, I sleep better. I have the control and the... You know, I still worry, but when I was teaching, you have so many people and so many things that you're responsible for. I didn't, I didn't sleep for years Mm. and I am, have made some friend changes in my life because some things just happen because now I'm so busy. I mean, things I'm getting life balance back takes a while because I devoted every flipping second to this place Mm -hmm. and, but I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy and I don't like to use this word because some people think it's arrogant, but I'm really proud. Mm, I'd be proud. I did not want to be in my rocking chair, Dan and I both in our eighties and say, why didn't we? Yeah. I wanted to see if I could do it. It was on me. And if I wasn't successful, that was also on me. And you said that you sleep better now. Mm-hmm. What's the number one thing you're doing differently now? Well, to begin with, because I was doing Bake Off when I opened, so I'd get here at like 3 a.m. and then stay to close every day. So Dan said, okay, if we're going to do this, you have got to go to bed and know that you're going to get eight hours. And I never got eight hours. You'd have to go to bed at like six. Yeah, and I did. Yeah. And that was hard on him, too, because he's like, well, now I don't even have a wife. She goes to bed at six. I have to be quiet, you know? Yeah. So that's another thing about Jake coming home is it's nice because they're living with us to have people in the house again. Yeah. Because empty nesting is not really all it's cracked up to be. And then when your wife. That's a very American thing, too, to like your kids turn 18 to go away. (laughs) And other cultures, like that home that you grew up in is your home for life. And it's passed down generations. Uh, homes are supposed to be filled with people. And it's been great. That part has been so... We have a lot of fun. Dan and Jake uh, sautéed fresh calamari last night, mm. and made a bomb salad, and we all sit around and laugh. So nice. it's great. So uh, things are coming full circle. This is where we wanted to be, but man, it is not easy to get there. No. You know, things all. really changed for our whole family. Some for the better, some not for the better, but I'm doing... What I wanted to do. What's the future look like? Um, We're going to, we're in the planning stages to try to see what that's going to look like. So I can work a little less. Jake has some great ideas, things that he wants to implement and take us in a little bit of a different direction. So again, you're starting over. Yeah. You know, because when you add something to me, it is kind of like starting over. You have to birth it. You have to you know, see where it's going to go. You also got to cherish the process yeah. and learn to love the process because the process never goes away. And in the restaurant business, that's another fun thing about it. Every day is different. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know who's coming through the door. It's, it's a challenge and it's fun and it's exciting. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. We're also going to have a sip of mimosa. Thank you. 
finally a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. I've got a serious question for all the owners and operators looking to increase revenue and get more new paying customers in the door. Here it is. How many times would you trade a $100 bill to receive $500 back? As many times as you could, right? That's a no-brainer. Well, here's the deal. Nick Fosberg, who's written one of the best marketing books for bars and restaurants, who's also been a guest on this podcast a number of times now, reached out to me and wants to run an experiment with my listeners. Nick is looking for a small handful of owners who have a Facebook page, and he wants to set up a promotion for them. But get this. He wants to guarantee them $500 in sales for every $100 they invest in what he is called his VOP promotion. If he fails to do this, you don't pay a penny. That's the experiment. And just recently, he ran this same experiment to help the owner of Carl and Chell's Grill House get a 282 offers redeemed in just two weeks with net sales of $14,552. If you're interested in getting more information, go to ru500.net. That's RU for Restaurant Unstoppable 500.net or click the link in the show notes for more information. That's not really a break. <laughs> Do you want a break? Do you no, want to get up and move no, around? That's good. All right. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Mind over matter. Mind over matter. What is your biggest weakness? Sugar. Okay. How are you combating that weakness? Um, well, I mean, that's a personal thing. Self-care, <laughs> trying to work on it. Some days good. Some days not so good. Uh, what's one question you ask or things you look for during the interview process? Um, I don't have specific question because I really chat with people. What's your story? And I'm looking for a learner. Okay. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge at work is balance. Same as personal, you know, trying to huge list every day, huge list. And some days I'm like, okay, no interruptions, but it's impossible because people want to talk to me. They want to see me. People like me walk in and say, hey, oh, what yeah. are you doing tomorrow? Want to be on my show? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, really because I owe it to my customers to be present. Yeah. So that means doing what I need to do after work, before yeah. work, on my day off, you know. Yeah, so I'm you. still trying to uh, streamline things, hand things off to other people. What's that process of handing that over to other people look like? 
Um, I'm a little bit of a control freak in a nice way, I hope. But um, I want to make sure they have a good understanding when I do hand it off so I don't end up getting it back. Okay. So what's that look like? Well, just a good understanding. These are the expectations. This is how I do it. I'd like you to do it this way. But after you get it down, if you have a better way, then let's talk about it. I dig it. What is one code of conduct you teach your staff? This is a core value, a behavior, a way to be. Well, move with urgency. People walking really slow, moving really slow drives me crazy. And this is kind of how I equate that. I mean, I'm not a monster. I don't like run behind people and yell or anything. But um, if you're an employee in great standing, you have an off day, you have cramps, you have a headache, whatever, bad day, bad night at home, you're allowed those kind of slow times, you know. But if you're repeatedly coming in and dragging ass, does that mean I get to pay you 60% of your wages? Because that's what I'm getting. That's a good point. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it, I guess. Uh, share one uncommon standard of service that you teach your team. Just to be sincere. I like it. And, you know, talk to people. But on the other hand, you can't talk to them for half an hour while the line builds up. Yep. You know, so you just have to be present in the moment and read the situation and be kind. Treat people like you want to be treated if you were on the other side of that counter. I love it. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Oh, shoot. The myth book. E-Myth? E-Myth, thank you. Yeah, that was great. That was a good one. That one's on audio, too. And that that is the book I think everybody should read before opening a restaurant. Yeah, I did it way after. (laughs) Yeah, just the the importance of systems, processes, Uh procedures, protocols, and all this stuff. And to to create a system-dependent operation, not a people-dependent operation. Uh, It's a must-listen to or must-read. You can get that book for free if you go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. And you'll be supporting the podcast. So first book on me and some money's coming back to the podcast. Thank you in advance. Uh, What is one piece of technology you've adopted in your operation that has had an impact on communication, efficiency, um, profitability? Well, that is my struggle because I'm really good um, hands-on in the kitchen. Technology is not my thing. So we started with a regular old-fashioned push the button, spit out a receipt, standalone register where we programmed all the buttons. So now we have a real POS system, and oh my gosh, it's so great. What'd you go with? Uh, Talic. Talic? Why'd you choose Talic? Um... Because it made sense. Okay. We were looking on our own, Dan and I, and weren't having any success. And so we went to our bank and they helped us. Okay. Cool. Um, what is one online resource or tool you follow or go to for information? Or uh, maybe it's an app online, a, a tool online that you, be, you use to be more efficient? Anything like that you're leveraging? No, not specifically because okay. I'm, you know, mainly cakes now. So I Google a lot of stuff. People come in and go, can you do a parkour cake? I'm like, is that a show? What is that? <laughs> so general, you know, knowledge yeah. things. Okay. I'm Googling pictures all the time. Awesome. This is the last question. Are you ready? Okay, for I'm ready. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Holy cow. You know, work hard, obviously. I think, you know, if you want things, you need to earn them and and be nice to people. Just be yourself. 
do what you love, that's where the success is. I think life is way too short to just be muddling through a job. Or a I got, life I got four things not. there, but I'll take all four. Uh-oh. Well, I could keep going, <laughs> work, but it takes a minute. <laughs> work hard. Earn what you want. Be nice to others. No, I don't like those. You don't like those? <laughs> we, can do, we can do three more if you want. Well, shoot. I have to really think about it. I can edit this up later. It's fine. I'll have another sip of, mimo- of mimosa. That's a big question. I read that, but I thought you just asked. No. One or two. It's all right. Take your time. I'm going to have some cake. Take all the time you need. That gives me more time to eat this delicious cake. Can you leave that question out? <laughs> no. That's the, that's the last one. Really? You know, do what you love needs to really be it because I've followed that and it's worked. So that's one. Do what you love. Surround, your pe- your, surround yourself with good, healthy people. You know, if people aren't working in your life, sometimes you got to walk away until things can get better or do what you love. Surround yourself with good, healthy people. And number three, have some fun. Yeah. Life's short, man. Have some fun. I love it. Beautiful. Phoebe, you've been great to talk to. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent operator, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show like you've made for us today. You emailed me three last night. I know, night. just one. <laughs> okay, there's a special guy in town that was a student of mine years ago when he was in high school. A very interesting story. He's all into raw foods, healthy eating, meditation, giving back to the community, and being a loving human being. Leland Harmel owns um, Rockstar, and our community online newspaper just did Thurston talk, just did an article on him. And I think you would enjoy his story if you can get it out of him. And that was Leland Leland Leland. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can the folks at home follow you and stay connected with what you're doing? Any social handles you want to share? Maybe an email. If they have a question they want to ask you, what's the best way to connect? It's all the same. The name of the business is Phoebe's pastry cafe. That's what the Instagram is. That's what our Facebook is. And my email is Phoebe at Phoebe's Pastry Cafe.com. Beautiful. And uh, I'll have all those links in the show notes. Just head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash Phoebe Martinson, and you'll find a summary of today's discussion along with the links to uh, the book that was recommended. And like, I think I already said this. The summary of today's discussion will be over there too. But if I did, I'll just edit that out later. Uh, <laughs> Phoebe, Phoebe Martinson, thank you so much again for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. This has been great. <laughs> it has. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Phoebe Martinson, thank you so much for sharing your story and your mentorship. This was a good one. I think the big lessons to take away from today's conversation uh, are just the the power of the energy you're putting out there. I think Phoebe uh, just exudes this energy, this authentic love for the people that she has surrounded herself with her guests and her employees. And she's just so genuinely grateful uh, and excited. And it shows uh, being a guest 
in her restaurant before approaching her to to ask her to be a, a guest on my podcast. This the energy of this woman. Talk about sincerity. Talk about really giving. Uh, you know, uh, whatever you. <laughs> I don't want to say it, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, and, and she, it's just real, man. It, it's authentic. It's awesome, and I love it. I think the other really cool part about today's conversation was uh when to say no. You know, we we kind of created this culture for ourselves in the industry that the guest is always right, but the guest isn't necessarily always right. And I think that she really painted the picture of when it's okay to say the guest isn't right and when to break up with a guest in uh, grace, graciously and gracefully asking a guest to maybe not be a guest anymore. And that's when the integrity of other guests or your employees are questioned or just the, 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 that disrespect is there you know the culture you create in your restaurant is within your four walls regardless of who you are uh whether it's your employee or your or your guest you gotta maintain that culture and when anybody's going against the grain of what you're trying to establish you, you've got to call them out you've got to set that standard so uh good for you phoebe uh, and one other thing I want to address before I say goodbye today, uh, I've been called out on my audio quality uh, during these closing thoughts, and I wanted to let you guys know if you've picked up that the sound sounds a little weird, uh, it's because I'm recording this in my car. So I've been doing a lot of editing, a lot of uh, work in my car, so I just wanted to let you know that's why it sounds a little weird. I'm using a very cheap uh, interface in my cell phone to record this right now. It's not as good as my uh, good equipment that I use on site because I just can't set it up in my car. So if you have noticed, I apologize, but do know that it's not for long. It's just while I'm mobile, while I'm on the road, it helps me with editing and uh, being able to do this stuff right in my car. So that's why it sounds a little funky. All right, guys, that's all for today. Uh, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Hatchdori, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I'm also on, uh, where am I? Spotify and Google Play now, so you can find me over there. And then lastly, guys, if you want to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry, help me out. Please share this resource. Anybody and everyone you know aspiring to be great in this industry, put this sucker on their radar. You are the average of those you surround yourself with. And at Restaurant Unstoppable, you can surround yourself with the best. All right, that's all for today. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.